Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 623 for release on Sunday, the 31st of January, 2021. On Wayscan today, we go back to the radio scene on the South Pacific Chatham Islands and our ancient DX report for 1923. Three weeks back, we presented our opening topic on the radio scene in the isolated South Pacific Chatham Islands. The radio story in that presentation featured the maritime wireless radio station under the consecutive call signs VLC and ZLC during the era from its inauguration in 1913 until it was officially closed in 1991. Now Ray Robinson takes us back to the radio scene on the Chatham Islands. Thanks, Jeff. Interestingly, for the past many years, a postal star cancellation identifying Radio Chatham Islands has been listed for sale on eBay, and it's still available to this day. The clearly marked cancellation date is March 23, 1916, when the station was just three years old, and the asking price is $130 US dollars. The date for the official closure of station ZLC near Waitangi Beach on Chatham Island is listed in the government files in New Zealand, some 500 miles distant, as August 30th, 1991. At that time, the local fishermen in the Chathams bewailed the loss of this important radio communication service. The historical files in New Zealand do not show the station in use after that time, though as far as is known, the station is still on the air under the authority of the New Zealand government to this day. Interestingly, various listings, as shown in radio publications in different parts of the world in this subsequent era, show its various operating frequencies and call signs. For example, in 1992, ZLC7 is listed on 5254 kHz. In 1997, ZLC is listed on 2104 kHz, and in 2003, ZLC3 is listed on 7740 kHz. An aerial photograph of station ZLC near Radio Beach is available on Google Earth, dated January 6, 2019, and it shows the well-groomed property of station ZLC on the northwest side of Owenga Road. Included in the picture is what appears to be a satellite receiving dish. Although we've attempted to contact local officials on Chatham Island, no return information has been received. The only answer to this puzzle would seem to be that the station, still under National New Zealand registration, was taken over by local authorities on the island. Maybe some of the well-known international radio monitors in New Zealand can provide an answer. Back during the 1950s, Maritime ZLC was in use also for daily communication with a network of several other smaller stations scattered throughout the Chatham Islands. At the time, half a dozen shortwave transmitters were available at ZLC for various local and regional communication purposes. A self-prepared QSL card dated in 1954 shows a total of five regional communication stations in the Chathams, 
and these were listed as ZLEC, ZLEG, ZLBE, ZMWO, and ZLDD. It's known that one of these stations was installed at Kangaroa, near the elementary school on the northeast coast. A community FM radio station, Radio Wecker, was inaugurated on December 11, 1991, with 25 watts on 92.1 MHz under the call sign 3WKA. The identification slogan of this station, Radio Wecker, honours the local Wecker bird that has the unusual habit of giving a cooey call each morning and evening as a male and female duet. Radio Wecker was on the air for a number of years, but was last listed in the 2009 edition of the World Radio TV Handbook. Here's a clip from that opening morning when the station was inaugurated on the 11th of December 1991. And occasional rain with visibility to five kilometres overnight last night, clearing this morning. Well, it's actually cleared. The rain's disappeared and I can actually see blue sky for the first time in a, in a couple of days. And it uh, looks like it could be a half reasonable sort of a morning. And the outlook for the following 18 hours, that's for tonight and tomorrow, a period of northwesterlies of 20 knots and then light winds again. We can handle that. Summer is here again, people. Good morning. If you just turned Radio on at 7.36, you're with Radio Wicker, 3WKAFM, on a Wednesday morning. Kiwi DXer Arthur Domain visited the Chatham Islands last year in 2020, and he states that a local FM station was indeed on the air, if somewhat intermittently, with the identification slogan The Sound on 89.3 FM. So, although Radio Wacker is no longer on the air, this current FM station would seem to be a revival of the local community station, and perhaps using The Sound, which is a New Zealand network, as a sustaining service. An official repeater station for Radio National, with a programme relay from New Zealand, was also on the air for a while on FM 89.7 MHz. And there was also a local TV station on the air in Waitangi, though that was closed when satellite TV became available. Over the years, there have been half a dozen amateur radio stations on the air at Waitangi, and the operators were usually associated with the maritime communication station ZLC. During the era before World War II, the Chatham amateur prefix was ZL2, such as with ZL2XL in 1933. And in more recent times, the prefix has been ZL7, such as with ZL7STU just last year, 2020. The second largest island in the Chatham Archipelago, and the only other island that's inhabited, is Pitt Island, which is approximately 10 miles by 4 miles, with a population of less than 40. It's more rugged than the 12-mile distant Chatham, and it was named in honour of the same William Pitt, who was the first Earl of Chatham, after whom the Chatham Islands were named. The call sign for the small communication station on Pitt Island is ZLET. On the next occasion, when we make a radio visit to the Chatham Islands, we plan to present the story of what's described as a mystery radio station. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks very much, Ray. Aaron Castillo is back with us again today on WaveScan, recently for his program Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com at Pierce College in Los Angeles. Aaron interviewed Adrian Sainsbury, the frequency manager for Radio New Zealand Pacific, RNZ Pacific, in New Zealand. He helps maintain the transmitters and ensures things run smoothly.
So come along now as he talks with Aaron about the challenges of coordinating frequencies for a shortwave station, especially in a new shortwave season and a new solar cycle. Hello and welcome to the show, Adrian. I'm glad to have you here today. Hi, Aaron. It's great to be here. I'd like to ask you first, what got you into radio? What was your first memory with the medium? As a boy, I was fortunate to grow up with a dad who was a wireless operator in the Royal Navy, in the British Royal Navy. And so I grew up in the world of radio right from the word go because he was listening to shortwave. My earliest training as a, when I was about 10 or 11 years old was climbing trees to put up antennas. And so it just evolved over time. And through him, I met his colleagues who were also ham radio operators. And some of them turned out to be working at the local radio station. At the time, we were living in Nairobi in Kenya, which is in East Africa, which was a British colony in those days. And there was a British forces base there that had its own radio station, similar to what the American Forces Network has today, I think, still, um, providing programs for the troops overseas. And so I met some of these guys, and I used to moonlight with them at, uh, on school holidays. I went out on outside broadcasts. I run out, sought out to run out the cables and all that sort of thing. And when it came time to leave school, somebody said, hey, would, how would you like a job? It was seamless. I left school. I started work, and because it was the British Horses Broadcasting Service I was working for, uh, and at that time they had bases all the way around the world, I travelled a lot with them, and eventually went back to the UK, and was there for a few years, and then met my now partner, and immigrated to New Zealand, and joined the Broadcasting Service here. So that's how I... That's a short story of my history. Wow. So you are traveling all around the world helping out the um, British uh, equivalent to the American Forces Network Correct. to broadcast the news and everything. That's right. Pro- providing, you... We provided a link with home. Ah, yes. That was what it was for. And I'm doing something similar here in New Zealand. Um, New Zealand has quite a few islands close by. By that I mean they're about two hours or three hours flying time. Uh, but they're near neighbours for us. And some of them are, were originally part of New Zealand and have got their independence and now manage their own affairs. That sort of arrangement. But the close ties between New Zealand and them is quite strong because their people will come here and work at times and go back to the islands. Small populations spread over a vast part of the ocean. As you, anybody looking at the Pacific, it's big. Yes. And so the government, New Zealand government many years ago, decided we need to provide a, a link, a, a news service broadcasting to the Pacific Islands because they're all too small to maintain uh, big newsrooms. And so what we do, we, we're the collection centre here in Wellington. We we have correspondence in all the islands. The news comes into us, and then we we send it out from here on shortwave and satellite, also um, the web, of course. So yeah, and so all the islands have got different levels of technology available to them to pick up our signal. 
That was Adrian Sainsbury, the Frequency Manager for Radio New Zealand Pacific, talking with Aaron Castillo of Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com at Pierce College in Los Angeles. We'll have more of that conversation on an upcoming WaveScan. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute office of President of the United States. Joe Biden becomes the 46th U.S. President. It's Thursday, January 21st. This is a special presidential inauguration presentation of VOA Asia. I'm Jim Stevenson in Washington. Also ahead, a most unusual presidential inauguration. As often happens when a new president takes power in the United States, the U.S. government's International Broadcasting Agency has gone through some leadership changes since the inauguration of President Biden on January 20th. The head of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, USAGM, was replaced. The USAGM oversees the Voice of America and other U.S. government operations such as Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Free Asia, the Middle East Broadcasting Networks, and Radio Marti. The new U.S. administration has also replaced the director of the Voice of America under President Trump and replaced him with a veteran VOA journalist named Yolanda Lopez. That's our program today. We thank you for joining us on VOA Asia. Continue online with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm Jim Stevenson. We're in Washington. We hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Be safe. Be well. Alex De Silva is the coordinator of World Radio Day at UNESCO, the United Nations Educational and Scientific Organization. And uh, he tells us that on the occasion of World Radio Day 2021, which is February 13th, UNESCO calls on radio stations to celebrate this event's 10th anniversary and 110 years of radio. This year's theme, New World, New Radio, recalls how this medium is part of humanity's history by following the various developments in our society and adapting its services. As the world changes, so does radio. Thus, during the COVID-19 pandemic, radio made it possible, for example, to ensure continuity of learning, to fight against misinformation, and to promote barrier gestures. New World, New Radio is therefore an ode to the resilience of radio. It's a tribute to its capacity for perpetual adaptation at the rate of societal transformations and listeners' new needs. Accessible anywhere and any time, radio reaches a broad audience. It presents itself as an arena where all voices can be expressed, represented, and heard, hence why radio is still the most consumed medium worldwide today. And they have produced uh, a 60-second television spot, and we want to present the audio of that spot to you now. The world is changing. Radio is evolving. For more than a century, radio has been the voice of our society. Voices and music have set the rhythm of our lives. Broadcasts mark their time. Radio has survived through the ages while remaining the relay of a world in perpetual change. The world is changing. Radio is innovating. With new technologies, radio has adapted to our new behaviors and lifestyles. As a medium of mobility, radio has become a multi-platform, accessible to everyone and everywhere. The world is changing. Radio connects. When events change, our daily lives and habits are turned upside down. We have to adapt. Radio provides us with multiple services to exchange, inform, connect. 
On this World Radio Day, UNESCO and your local station are committed to ensuring that radio continues to evolve, innovate and connect. New world, new radio. For more information, www.worldradioday.org. That was UNESCO's World Radio Day 2021 spot, and uh, it is on February 13th, World Radio Day this year. We'll have more on World Radio Day on upcoming broadcasts. But now let's go all the way back to 1923 for our ancient DX report. The radio scene throughout the world during the year 1923 was characterized by two major developments. The proliferation of radio broadcasting stations on long wave, medium wave, and short wave, and the proliferation of very high-powered communication stations. These 1923 international radio developments were concentrated mainly in Europe and North America, though similar activity on a smaller scale was evident in a large number of countries elsewhere. Let's bring Ray Robinson back with us again for more on 1923. The original BBC in London, the British Broadcasting Company, received a broadcasting licence from the post office on January 18, 1923, thus formalising the four medium wave stations that had taken over during the previous year, 1922. These four stations, as listed in the book BBC Engineering, were 2LO in London, which broadcasts from Marconi House in the Strand, on 363.7 metres or 825 kHz with 100 watts. The station 2ZY in Manchester, which broadcasts from Metro Vickers at Trafford Park on 378 metres, 793 kHz. 5IT in Birmingham, broadcast from the General Electric Company in Witten on 477 metres, 629 kHz, and 5NO up in Newcastle, which broadcasts from Cooperative Wholesale in West Blandford Street on 404.5 metres or 742 kHz. We should mention that the first radio broadcasting station in England was the Marconi station 2MT at Rittle in Essex, which was inaugurated with 200 watts on 700 metres or 428 kHz long wave on February 14, 1922. However, this station was never taken over by the British Broadcasting Company and it was closed on January 17, 1923. In reality, it was superseded by the better known 2LO in London. During the year 1923, the British Broadcasting Company installed five more medium-wave broadcasting stations, and these were, in Wales, in the city of Cardiff, broadcasting from a music shop at 19 Castle Street, was station 5WA on 850 kHz. In Scotland, there were two stations, one in Glasgow, broadcasting from the electricity company in Port Dundas, with callsign 5SC on 711 kHz with 1.5 kilowatts, and the other in Aberdeen, also broadcasting from the electricity company in Belmont Street, with callsign 2BD on 606 kHz. And in England, there were two stations, one in Bournemouth on the south coast, which broadcast from a bicycle shop on Sean Street as 6BM on 777 kHz. And in Sheffield, South Yorkshire, there was 2FL on 980 kHz with 120 watts. On the longwave scene, the British Post Office procured 800 acres near Rugby for the erection of a powerful longwave station. 
The rugby station, with its primary call sign GBR, was intended to become the key station for an empire-wide long-wave communication system, reaching from England to Australia, including several intermediate relay stations. On the continent, the American RCA company installed a long-wave communication station near Warsaw in Poland, and a French company installed a similar station near Belgrade in what was Yugoslavia. Holland installed a communication station at Assel for communication with Malabar on the island of Java in what was its East Indies colony. Denmark constructed a wireless station for communication between its capital city, Copenhagen, and the island of Bornholm in the southern Baltic. During the year 1923, the broadcast of radio programming, music concerts and information bulletins began in several European countries, including France, Sweden, Holland, Germany, Denmark and Italy. Over in North America, medium-wave broadcasting stations were proliferating at a rapid rate, and a station list for August 1923 shows more than 600 stations. At that stage, the licensing authority, the Department of Commerce, was just beginning to allow stations to operate on their own set frequency, beyond the original two standard channels of 360 metres and 480 metres, 833 and 618 kHz. May 15, 1923 was the date when each station would be permitted to move out from one of those two highly congested channels to its own officially licensed new channel. At that stage, 54 channels were assigned to medium-wave stations in the United States, ranging from 550 to 1350 kHz, and that was the beginning of what has since become the international standard medium-wave broadcast band. Back at that stage, it was reported that the best-known radio station in the world was the Navy transmitter NAA, with its three self-supporting towers at Arlington in Virginia. Station NAA gained its popularity due to its high-powered transmitters and the regularly scheduled broadcast of time signals. Announcements were given in regular speech and also in Morse code. Radio broadcasting stations were inaugurated during the year 1923 in the South American countries of Argentina and Brazil. The huge wireless communication station at Monte Grande in Argentina used two 400 kilowatt transmitters and a total of 10 self-supporting towers 700 feet tall, supporting an antenna system that stretched for nearly three miles. In Honolulu, Hawaii, Experimental station KUO made a one-day broadcast from the roof of the Examiner newspaper building. In Australia, the first two medium-wave stations were inaugurated, 2BL, back then as 2SB, and 2FC on long-wave 273 kHz, both in Sydney. And in New Zealand, 11 broadcasting stations were on the air. Interestingly, broadcasting station call signs in Australia began with a number ranging from 2 through 7, and in New Zealand from 1 through 4. However, the first letter in the Australian call signs generally varied from A through W, such as 2AD and 2WG. However, in New Zealand, the first letter generally varied only from Y or Z, such as 2YA and 4ZB. 
the American radio magazine Radio Broadcast for December 1923, issue number 103, made the following observation with regard to what we now call shortwave. Quote, the work of Franklin in the United States and Marconi in England, together with the work of the Westinghouse Company and the Bureau of Standards in this country, prove beyond a doubt the feasibility of employing a range of frequencies at present used by no one. Actual experiments show this range above 3 MHz to be perfectly workable. Unquote. <laughs> Fancy that. And finally, yes indeed, the KDKA shortwave station 8XS was inaugurated in 1923 and shortwave broadcasting also began to escalate. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Si lo semi vida que tu y yo estaremos juntos. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. You may recognize the voice in the background, which is that of the famous Italian singer Andrea Bocelli from a, an album of music mostly in Spanish. This one is uh, Canto de la Tierra, or in Italian, Canto de la Terra, in English, The Song of the Earth. This program was researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, German radio celebrates 100 years the Koenigs Wusterhausen story, and our Japan DX reports. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program to the AWR address in Bangkok. Stand by for that. And also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida. Until next week, good listening, everyone. Ciao. Oh